We are very excited to be with you this morning. As Ken said, um, it's been about five years since we've been with you, and um, God has been continually sustaining us, continually uh, showing up in his faithfulness, and part of that is evidence through your church family. So as we're here this morning, um, there are several goals in what I believe God wants to accomplish, but I would really want to begin by thanking you. Thank you for standing faithfully with our family for all of these years. Um, God has been at work, uh, not just through your financial support, but through your prayers. I know that there are several of you that commit to pray for us faithfully, and I know that because of those prayers, God is sustaining our family and um, helping us press on. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness and what you do. Uh, there is a ripple effect. The choices you make every day, individually, and the choices you make as a church body, um, as families, there's a ripple effect of that. And when we come back and see that you are pressing on in faithfulness, continuing to do uh, the most important things in this world, um, focused on gospel work, um, it's a great encouragement to us. So thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us for all these years. And as Pastor Ken mentioned, um, it's been a few years since you started partnering with us. And uh, these photos show you what our family looked like um, many years ago when God called us to uh, do something um, that we would never have imagined. Um, but uh, this is a picture of God's faithfulness, too. Um, I want to start just by giving you a brief update um, on these four sons of mine and our family. And I have to say when I speak of them and even of myself that we have been the recipients of extravagant grace. God has put us on a path that is um, much more difficult than we would have ever chosen for ourselves. Uh, but along with that, he has also poured out the grace that we need every day. And so as I share um, about my family and about what God is doing, please cast all the praise and the honor and the glory to the only one whom that glory is due. Uh, and that is the one who has sustained our family and held us close. Uh, just to give you a quick update on each of my sons, my oldest, uh, William, is a first-year medical student at Penn State University in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, my second son, Grant, is a junior nursing major at Cedarville University. My third son, Luke, is a pharmaceutical studies major at Cedarville University. And my fourth son, Andrew, is a 10th grader. This year, he is with me here this morning, my traveling companion on, um, as we go to different churches throughout the, throughout the nation to, to share, uh, but he's eager to get back to Togo. Um, he's already asking me about when we can book the flights to leave in May so he can have that on his calendar and know that that's uh, when we get to go home. Um, Andrew loves his life, as the other boys did, uh, loves his life in Mongo Togo. Um, he's plugged into the ministry of the hospital as a phlebotomist and serves in our lab. And so I love, love, love getting to see him throughout my days as I work in the hospital. Um, again, all of this, as I share, is the answer to um, the prayers of many of you as you have prayed that God would sustain us. And I can truly see that, say that God holds his promises. He holds and does all that he has promised he will. His word is clear that he is the father to the fatherless. Hmm. Uh, something I've prayed back to him hundreds of times in recent years, and he proves to be faithful. He's a protector of widows and a father to the fatherless. 
And so um, I, again, ask that you would just continue to pray for us. Um, it's a process, right? This is a long journey, um, but God is faithful, and he hears the prayers of his people. He has ultimately done much to answer the prayers of your church family in this ministry that God chose to establish. This ministry is a reflection of the heart of our God for uh, those walking in darkness from across West Africa. Uh, this hospital was established really in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's in a desert in a predominantly Muslim region, and people come from across West Africa to have their health care needs met. But ultimately, we have, we have doctors, we have nurses, we have um, a, a phenomenal lab and a pharmacy and all of these moving pieces. And it's an enormous, enormous ministry with a lot of moving pieces that all need to be going in the right direction every single day in order for this to work. But all of those pieces, all of those different things are not the goal. Healthcare, physical healing is not the goal. Everyone who serves there knows that the goal of the Hospital of Hope is the gospel. The goal is having a platform to speak the truth, to speak of the eternal hope that we have, that this life is not all there is, that even though the suffering is deep and great and the things that we see um, are very hard, but yet we have a hope and we have a Savior who loved us so much that he gave his life. And so we do everything we can to proclaim this truth. Um, I'm going to show a video here that will give you an idea of what our days look like.
our God has been um, doing much to bring the nations of West Africa <clears throat> to himself. And uh, I am excited to share that just recently we registered patient number 97,000. So 97,000 people have come to us from across West Africa. And each of them have been given compassionate health care in the name of Jesus. And so I ask that you would continue to pray and um, continue to partner and continue to think about how you can be more and more plugged into what God is doing uh, in a very dark place. We have um, seen the redemptive and restorative hand of our God in the lives of individuals that he has brought to us. And so this morning, I'm going to share several stories with you of individuals uh, that God has drawn to himself, highly encouraging stories. But I have to say that um, as I share these stories, that these are not stories that happen every day. These are stories that we are able and, and privileged to be a part of because um, God has been at work for many, many years. God has been doing the hard work for all these years to work in the hearts and lives <coughs> of individuals. And we um, are able uh, to see this and to testify to it. But I also ask that you would praise God because it's a work of him. He's the one that's doing the real work. Um, so as we have uh, experienced and seen the restorative and re redemptive work of, of the hand of God um, through the lives of these individuals, as I share these things with you today, I want to encourage your heart that um, God's hand is restorative and redemptive no matter where you find yourself on the globe. And so please, as you think of uh, these stories, think about those around you that are walking in darkness that need to hear the same truth, that need to see a life lived out in a way that is a sweet aroma, a life lived out so that others would want what we have, and uh, that this God is doing, um, doing this kind of work in the hearts and lives of those that he has chosen. Um, as I have entered into the United States um, this school year uh, for our furlough, I saw very quickly that things had changed quite dramatically. It had been five years since we had been in the majority of our supporting churches and five years since we'd spent any extended time in the United States. And so I saw um, extreme, uh, an extreme difference and much more intense suffering. And when I think of uh, the changes, the great changes that have taken place, um, I think not just of our nation, and not just as the church in America, and not just in the individual bodies of believers, the local church, but also the hearts and lives of families and individuals. I've seen suffering and grief and loss like never before. And so because of that, I have chosen to, sh to share with you some of the things that I have had to cling to most firmly in most recent years, the things that God has been teaching me personally in order that I can persevere, in order that I can put one foot in front of the other and daily trust that our God is faithful. And so I'm going to weave together uh, several of these truths from Scripture, but also uh, with the way he has revealed himself in those, way, in those ways in the hearts and lives of our patients. Because um, in light of our circumstances, in light of the loss and grief many of us face, um, I'm more sobered than ever what we face as Christians, as Christ followers, but yet I'm more hopeful than ever about what I believe that God is doing underneath the surface of all the wreckage. 
we look around, and if we, um, it doesn't, we don't have to look far to see the wreckage. But yet I do believe firmly that God is accomplishing the most important work underneath the surface of all of that wreckage in our own personal lives, but also in, our, in the church in America and around the world. He's accomplishing the things that only he can accomplish, the things that count not just for the next few years, not just a, a change of agenda, a change of strategy. He's accomplishing the things that count for all of eternity, the things that matter most. And so um, these are the things that I must focus on because as you can imagine, my days of walking through the Hospital of Hope and seeing such intense suffering and being uh, carrying the burdens and worries of so many situations, I can quickly uh, begin to doubt the, the goodness of our Heavenly Father. But I must, I must make a choice in my thoughts and in my heart. And I must follow the example that is laid out for us in Scripture, as in uh, the life of Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Jeremiah says, I call these things to mind, and therefore I find hope. These things he speaks of are the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never end. Great is his faithfulness. He calls these things to mind. He takes every thought captive. It's a choice, and I must do the same. He goes on to say, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord himself is my portion not the material blessings that the Lord has given me, not the status, not any position that I hold, not anything of this world. The Lord himself is my greatest good. The Lord himself is my portion. These are the things that I must be pounding into my head every day when I think of the wreckage around me and what God wants to do in my own heart and the hearts of those who he puts in my path. And so here are a few things that I have chosen to call to mind. I choose to look upon the beauty of God's glory in the fullness of Christ. Throughout scripture, this is displayed, and especially in the book of Hebrews. I choose often to ponder the multitudes of the redeemed that are waiting just inside the gates for us. It's a beautiful scene. It's a motivating scene. I choose to look at the wider expanse of eternity that is laid out before us without end. And I ask God to help me remember and never forget that the most important things in this world have not changed. They will not change and they cannot change. These are the truths that I have chosen to focus on and I'm going to continue to share more specific truths um, regarding how I persevere. First of all, our shepherd is sovereign. Our shepherd is sovereign, so the one who brings us hundreds of people every day. There's at least 200 people at our gate in Mongo every single morning. Mm -hmm. And I know that we cannot care for them all. And so I look into the faces of these that God has brought us. Some of them have traveled weeks to arrive at our hospital. And I know uh, that many of them will not be seen. Many will wait weeks in order to see a doctor. And I have to trust that God is sovereign in this. The shepherd that brought them, he knows their hearts, he knows every soul, he knows their needs, and he also knows the limitation of our medical staff. And I can trust him with this. And he is sovereign in this. 
One of the beautiful ways that God has shown his sovereignty is the way he draws his own to himself. In this passage, um, I love this promise. Uh, Jesus speaking, saying, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. They will listen. Such was the case in the life of this man, this Fulani man that God brought to us from uh, Burkina Faso, a war-torn nation just north of us, where 70% of our, our patient population comes from. He had been to our facility on five different occasions, and each time he came, he, hear he heard more shreds of truth from our chaplaincy staff. And so he often, every time he was there, he heard the Jesus film in his own language. Every time he was there, he had more interactions with our chaplains and with our Christian doctors. And every time, God was using his truth to uh, do the work that only God can do. And so after five different visits to our campus, uh, we all had a uh, relationship with this man. And uh, the morning that he was getting ready to leave to go back to Burkina Faso, I was able to have a candid uh, discussion with him. And I asked him, who, if he could tell me who he believed that Jesus was. And in classical African fashion, he responded to me with a parable. Not many people from West Michigan would do that. <clears throat> he said, you know, I am a father and a grandfather, and nothing brings me more joy in this life than when I give my child a task to accomplish, and they do it willingly, promptly, obediently, with joy, and to completion. He went on to say he believes that's the heart of God the Father. He sent his son to accomplish the task that only Jesus, the Son of God himself, could accomplish by laying down his life as the Lamb of God and taking on his sin. He did it willingly, promptly, obediently, with joy, and to completion. As he shared this, I could barely contain myself as I looked right before my very eyes and saw the hand of God that had done the work in the heart of this individual. We sent him back to Burkina Faso uh, with scriptures in his own language on his phone and put him in contact with a pastor in his region and other believers that he could connect with. We trust that God continues to hold him close and use his word. The other truth that I must focus on continually to make it through our days is that our immortality is a reality our immortality is a reality. Our life, our human life, reaches out beyond what we call death into eternity. Death is just an event. Death is not a wall. It is a gate through which we will pass to a fuller, more beautiful, complete, and joy-filled life. It is, this life is a blip. Eternal life goes on forever. So I must embrace this way of thinking. Uh, as you probably know, great grief reigns in the lives of our patients and their families on so many levels. And so I must speak boldly and often about eternity for my own heart and obviously for those with whom I speak. Such was the case uh, with this young Muslim woman that God brought to us from Burkina Faso. She had intense grief and had suffered much loss uh, 
in recent years as she watched four of her infant children pass into eternity before her eyes, all from a congenital illness that we cannot care for. And so for uh, years, she had just been, her physical health had been declining as she wrestled with such intense grief. Her family watched her waste away before their eyes. Her brother, who's an imam, a religious teacher, uh, was doing everything he could to help her. And one day her cousin came to visit and had not seen her and was greatly distraught over the state in which he found her. And he said to her, you know, I think you should go to the hospital in northern Togo. There's people there that will pray for you. And so this woman and her brother traveled for many days to arrive at our facility. And when they arrived, they didn't get in line with all the others to see the doctors. They asked to see the people who would pray. And so uh, we quickly met her, my, my chaplaincy staff and myself, and we spent the morning with her opening scriptures, pointing to all of the prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the coming of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, and how they all accurately point to the one that was sent, the Son of God, Jesus himself. She was actually um, admitted as a patient and spent many weeks with us. And over those weeks, we were able to spend more and more time interacting with these two individuals and able to show them more and more gospel resources in their own language. And God did what only he can do through, the te- through, the, through hearing of his word. And over those weeks, um, they were learning more and more, and the Spirit was softening their hearts before their departure to return to Burkina, both of them confessed Christ as their Savior. And as uh, this dear woman um, faces a, a childless life in West Africa, she faces a life of much shame. It is not an easy road. And so we go back to the message that our immortality is a reality, and we share truths like this one. truth about what Jesus has accomplished. 2 Timothy 1.10 Our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He abolished death. This is a message that a mother like this must have close at heart. A woman like this, I should say. Jesus Christ abolished death. And so we sent her back with these scriptures on her phone in her own language with a list of things that she needed to be listening to every single day, filling her mind with the truth of the great love that God has for her and the eternal hope that she now has. The next truth that um, I must cling to is that our God is always working to draw his own to himself. He is always at work. He's always doing a million things that I can't see. And that gives me great assurance to continue to press on, to continue to speak truth, even when I feel like others are not listening. God is using his word and God is accomplishing whatever needs to be accomplished, ultimately for his greatest glory. And such was the case in the life of this young man that he brought to us. Um, This is the scripture that speaks to that. Jesus speaking, my father is working until now, and I am working. He's always at work. The young man that he brought to us, his name is Enoch. And Enoch has been, written, been born into a Christian family. His Christian grandparents named him, but he had 
left his childhood faith at a very early age and had nothing to do with it for decades. And then he shows up at our hospital with his a very, very sick daughter. And he spent several months in our hospital as his daughter was cared for. And over those months, he heard truth time and time again. And he heard about the great love of God and the forgiveness that is so readily available for those who turn to Christ. And so one morning, there was a candid conversation between several of our chaplains and Enoch. They started with the meaning of his name. They pointed out in scripture the man named Enoch who walked very intimately with God. They pointed out that we all are designed and created to have that kind of intimacy. And Enoch knew he didn't have it and he desperately wanted it. That morning he prayed. He confessed his sin. He was remorseful and uh, very emotional when he considered his past and the forgiveness that was readily available to him. He asked God to help him in his remaining years to be a light, to use his remaining years on this earth to do things that will actually count for eternity. God was always at work doing what only he can do in the lives of a young man whose grandparents and parents were praying for him. The next truth that is highly um, motivating for me and I must cling to is the fact that the Father calls his own and he holds them forever. The Father calls his own and he holds them forever. I must believe this when I am seeing people come to faith in Christ and we're sending them back to a war-torn country where Islamic terrorism reigns and there are no, not many solid Christians in the country. I must believe this in my own life. I must believe this in the lives of my children. He holds us forever. I've seen this truth played out in the life of a dear friend of mine. And the scripture is so powerful and so yet so familiar um, in speaking of this. Again, Jesus speaking, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. No one. So my dear friend pictured here uh, came to faith in Christ in prison about eight years ago. She is from a Muslim family, a strong Muslim family. And while in prison, um, our team went and did Bible studies with the prisoners. And she took a Bible and she devoured it. She's a brilliant woman, highly intelligent. She read the scriptures from cover to cover in a matter of, in a matter of weeks. And God was doing the work, showing her that this is the truth. She bowed the knee and confessed her sin and became a child of God. Facing enormous consequences for that with her family. This morning when we sang the old rugged cross and it spoke of the shame, gladly bearing the shame, I thought of her. I don't know that I understand fully what that line means, but I know my friend does. Her family told her as soon as they heard um, what she had decided, they told her she was dead to them, that she was no longer a part of their family. And so she continues to walk in faithfulness, and God continues to hold her. And she spends her, her days in that hospital with me, sharing the truth of who Jesus is with her own people, in her own language, and remains faithful. God is holding her. And I ask, I beg that you would pray for my sweet friend. I love her so much, and she's an enormous encouragement to me, helping me press on and persevere. The Father calls his own, and he holds us. He holds us 
forever. The last truth that I want to share, and I've seen this lived out, is that the Father calls his sheep to obedience. The Father calls his own, his sheep, to obedience. John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. They follow me. Those who sincerely know Christ walk in the very footsteps of our Savior Jesus. I've seen this lived out in the life of the little handful of people that have come to faith in Christ in our town and are now serving alongside us and working in different house groups that meet in our region. God has established 12 different points of teaching house groups throughout our region, and we partner with those that have come to faith in Christ and we do everything we can to train them and to push them out in front of us uh, in the work. I work uh, with two, two men uh, who um, preach the word, and I do everything I can to encourage them, and they walk in obedience to go to a, a village that's uh, about 45 minutes outside of our town. There's not a lot of glamour or uh, benefit to them from a worldly perspective. They love God's word, and they love to see it change lives, and so they're faithful in walking in obedience. I also have the privilege of walk, walking uh, my days, spending my time with this team. This is a team of uh, West Africans, uh, the majority of whom have come to faith in Christ out of Islam. And so now they walk through those hospital wards every day, and we pray with patients, we get to know their families, we get to know their needs, and ultimately, we do everything we can to speak the truth, to sow seeds of truth. And uh, showing the Jesus film in their own language, uh, using gospel resources, whatever we can to get truth into their minds. And then we leave the, the ultimate work up into the hands, the capable hands of the one who loves them more than we do. And ask God to do the work that he does to give them ultimate hope, to give them eternal life. And it's a privilege to be a part of this team. Now, when I speak of obedience, um, I can tell you that obedience looks different for me uh, than it might for you. Your obedience is between you and your, your creator, the one who called you by name. For some of you, obedience means staying here and being uh, a brighter light in this, in this dark place. The darkness here looks different. For some of you, that obedience might mean walking across the street and establishing a relationship with a very difficult person. That person is probably difficult because they do not have the light. They're walking in darkness. Why would we expect them to not be difficult? So that is obedience for several of you. For others, I believe that God is calling several of you to join me. The needs at the Hospital of Hope are great. God has established a phenomenal platform where we have the freedom to speak the truth of who Jesus is. And we are missing opportunities because we do not have enough people to join us to speak that truth. And so there are a lot of um, things listed here. And these are all different roles that can be filled. But ultimately, the greatest need is that we need sincere Christ followers who love God's word, who want to wield the sword of the spirit and speak the truth of all that God accomplished and all that God planned in the sending of his son. And if that is you, I would love to talk to you more about how God might want to plug you in. This um, task for all of us, I, I never paint these, this task as an easy job. There are a lot of very, very hard days. 
but what a gift it is to know that clearly we are insufficient for what the task is. We're insufficient. But the challenges that we face are ordained by God, and the grace is always there to walk through those. The grace is always available. We rest not in our own abilities. We rest not in anything that we can accomplish. We rest in the fact that God has called us. He's given us the perfect guide in his word, and he's given us our, his spirit to be our shepherd, to lead us. And ultimately, it's all uh, up to him. He does the real work, and all glory and honor is due to him. Thank you so much to this church. Thank you, thank you for the way you've stood with us for all these years. I look forward to the day. There will be a day. There will be a day when you will meet my dear friends. You'll meet at the gate. We'll be on our faces together and we'll be worshiping. Thank you for being a part of this.